two, three, four. Hey, everybody. This is Trevor Chambers from Old Raleigh Financial Group. Uh, today we continue our Meet the Masters series. Very excited today. We got a very we got two people actually. I'm excited about. I have, I have my first co-host, Mr. Alex Mihaloff, who uh, co-founded uh, Old Raleigh Financial Group from uh, from the burbs of Rochester. It's really good to have you. Just got yeah. So, um, and then uh, uh, I'm gonna uh, we have Brad Thomas. I'll talk about Brad in just one second. But um, Alex, uh, you said we got to talk to Brad because uh, you throughout your career have always had people talk to you about real estate investment, and you're a big fan of REITs and investing in the public markets. So that's that segued into he's been following you, Brad. Um, I'll just give you a brief little uh, intro, Brad. Brad Thomas uh, currently writes for Forbes.com and Seeking Alpha, where he maintains a real-time read, researched and public, uh, uh, publicly uh, listed reads. Uh, you're a number one analyst on Seeking Alpha in the area, and you've offered now, I've authored now, I guess it sounds like going on three books, which is awesome. And then most importantly, you have a wife and five kids. Did I hear that right? And you live in South Carolina? That's correct. Yeah, All right. well, five kids. So, and, uh, yeah, and that's uh, awesome. The, the oldest one, I'll, I'll give a shout out, since you're sitting in Raleigh, is... Uh, she finished Chapel Hill, so go go Hills. Nice. <laughs> well, so that's bad. So um, when you're not being a, a husband and a father through all these children, you appear to be a uh, REIT superhero. So, um, but before we get into that, Alex, tell us, tell us kind of lead us into this um, real estate as an asset class. So it's, it's funny, oh, Brad. One of the reasons I wanted to do this, I, I'd love to hear your take on it, because one of the things that I – talk to clients about all the time is especially people that are not very sophisticated they go or or they own rental property so we have the conversation about what is your real return on rental housing or what is your real return on that beach house that you're going to flip etc cetera, etc cetera. so we have that discussion and it's really funny, people's eyes glaze over when I say, you know, it's really much easier to buy this on a publicly traded market like the New York Stock Exchange, let somebody else do all the dirty work and send you the dividends every quarter. Um, but it's, do you, do you get into the, do you know where I'm coming from? It's very frustrating to have people, like I had a conversation this morning with a guy that's, you know, cleaning up his financial picture and he says, well, I'm not, I don't really have anything to do, so I'm going to buy five or six houses and flip them over time. Tell, tell me what you run into on that. And being a developer, you got a lot more seance on that than I do. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and uh, thank you, Alex, uh, for, that, for that introduction. Um, and Trevor, um, I, you know, definitely was uh, was on that side of the fence for a long time. For so for 20 years, I was a developer and invested privately. And uh, I've got to say, and you know, I always uh, one of the big frustrations I had on the private side was, you, you know, you always have to deal with the three T's, the toilets, the trash, and the taxes. And <laughs> it's, it's very time consuming. And, and so you've got to always consider what is the, t what's your time value of money, you know? And so, you know, I spent, you're right. I mean, you can make some, some pretty nice wealth, you know, in the private side. We, I'm sure you can, you know, t you can't click on any TV station and see, a, you know, some channel, they're, they're house flipping or, or renting a house and there's all types of, 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 of ways to get rich quick in real estate on the private side. But you've got to consider that time value of money and how much time are you, you know, going to invest in this, in this property or in this portfolio. And, and so the great thing about REITs, and again, now that I've kind of 
you know, left the dark side, I'll call it, which is the private side and really gone over to the good side. Um, you know, there's really three elements in the public sector that are really compelling and offer a really tremendous value proposition. Uh, the most obvious one is, is liquidity. You know, it's a public stock. So, you know, if I needed to pay for my son's braces, and fortunately he just got his braces off, so I don't have to worry about that. But, uh, but if I needed some cash, you know, so I either have to go take out a second mortgage on a rental house, go sell a rental house to get that liquidity, or I can just sell some shares of stock. So, you know, kind of having that instant liquidity is, I think, one of the, one of the most obvious reasons to invest in, in, in REITs, publicly traded real estate. The second advantage I would say, and this goes back to my days as a developer, you know, I had a fairly diversified portfolio, but not diversified enough. And so, um, but having a, investing in REITs, you get instant diversification. Almost every REIT has a diversified portfolio that's maybe diversified by operator or by geography. Um, and that's really important, or industry. And that's really important to have that diversification because we all know it only takes one torpedo to sink the ship. Um, and I think the other, the other uh, more obvious reason as well is management and you know, compliance. As you all know, uh, as, as registered investment advisors, I mean, it's, you know, you, you, as a public company, you must provide, you know, these companies have to provide you know, quarterly reporting and full transparency. I think that's really the word there's transparency. In my previous partnership, you know, I didn't have that transparency. I was not the managing member. So, you know, I literally had to beg for information and K-1s when I, you know, we need to file tax returns. And so obviously with a public company, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So I think it really boils down to really the time value of money. And if you've got significant time and have maintenance people on staff and can help, you know, fix the toilets, uh, you know, collect the taxes and the rent, and all of that, all that stuff that goes along on the private side. Well, you know, maybe that's for you, but you know, but really the power of dividends is the key here. I think that is probably the, the, the most important aspect of a real estate investment trust is because by law, the company must pay out at least 90% of taxable income, which simply means, you know, you have a very predictable dividend paying uh, enterprise that has been around a long time since 1960. So they're battle tested, time tested, uh, now they're pandemic tested, we can say. So certainly survived um, a long time, you know, mo more than five decades. And, and we have a very strong history. And we can prove now, by the way, on the private side, uh, that public REITs have outperformed private uh, investments over, over many decades. Uh, not every year, uh, but certainly over decades. So that very predictable uh, income or revenue is really what, what really has been the primary catalyst for uh, the success of REITs over the last, um, as I said, five decades. So how, what made you go from being a developer to being an author? What, what, what prompted that change? Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, when I was, uh, I knew about REITs when I got out of college. Uh, I never took, um, you know, REIT courses. We didn't, they didn't offer those, the college I attended here in South Carolina, Presbyterian College. Uh, but I was familiar with REITs and you know, I worked with a number of REITs uh, and actually sold several properties uh, to REITs. Uh, one of the companies that I was always, um, always uh, attracted to was a company called Realty Income because I predominantly built net lease freestanding properties. I was one of the first developers for advanced auto parts uh, before they even had over 100 stores. 
uh, and I built close to 100 stores for them and Blockbuster Video and a number of freestanding, you know, companies, Econo Lube and Tune, um, a lot of restaurants, Waffle House, IHOP. So I was always attracted to net lease because of that, that very long-term leases that provide very durable and predictable income. So I sold some of those properties to realty income when I was a developer and was familiar with the company. And, um, and then really when, as we moved kind of closer into the, uh, had a you know, partnership issue, as I alluded to earlier, uh, it was kind of a very difficult relationship to unwind. Uh, and then right when I was kind of landing on my feet, say 2006 and seven, then all of a sudden 2008 rolled around and this, this nasty storm called the great recession showed up as it did at everybody's doorstep. And so it, it really allowed me to decide what I wanted to do. I'd always had a passion for uh, writing and I've always had an interest in helping individual investors, especially after I went through a, a pretty, pretty tough time, um, you know, financially. Um, and I said, you know what, I don't want to see investors lose the type of money that I've lost over, over, uh, over really two decades. And so I really wanted to become a voice for, you know, average Joe and average Jane and help them uh, create wealth in, in, in real estate investment trusts, uh, which again are, are much more aligned for individual investors who, who don't need to be, you know, swinging for the fences and, you know, they need to sleep well at night. So that's why I really created this business about 10 years ago and it's grown substantially and it's really continuing to grow. And I'm excited about, you know, the growth prospects uh, not only for my business, but really by the, just the REIT industry. Uh, you've got now, you know, it, it, not even 10 years ago, um, you know, you didn't have a lot of the property sectors. We had data centers just really starting to, uh, you know, enter the, the, the public space, but now we have data centers, cell towers, obviously the 5G growth, all of the growth in logistics and e-commerce. Uh, so that actually has led me to a new book I'm writing now, a second edition of The Intelligent REIT Investor, um, which uh, is, by the way, is uh, utilized at many of the leading colleges that I never attended, like Cornell and Wharton and NYU and Georgetown. Good for you. Well, congratulations on that. That's great. Yeah, that is. Um, let's talk about what's going on today. What do you uh, What do you think about this COVID? And if you, I know, I know you write about it because I read I read a lot of your writing. If you could sum it up, what do you think this is going to do to the REIT market and the real estate market in general? Yeah, it's, it's definitely been disruptive. And especially in those sectors that I alluded to, retail is retail and lodging are obviously the most challenged uh, in terms of I mean, getting back to any kind of normalization. And I, frankly, I question whether or not we'll see there'll be a new norm, I believe, in the retail sector, more specifically in the mall space. Um, I'm glad to see, you know, more normalization in outdoor shopping and primarily shopping centers and, and uh, outlet centers uh, where people are obviously getting back and, uh, and, and uh, going to the stores. Uh, but still, you know, I still question whether or not we'll get to full capacity, especially in the mall space and the theater space as well. Um, and so, um, you know, to, to me, I mean, that's still going to be a higher risk uh, property sector. I, I've always said, at least for the last four years, that the mall sector was already, you know, fairly drastically overbuilt. It cost about $100 million to build a mall. Um, and but there were just a lot of those malls built, um, really starting from the 70s on to the 2000s. And so um, there's around 1,400 malls in the U.S. And we think that number is going to be 
critically impacted. We're seeing it, you know, in, across the country, uh, malls closing down, department stores closing down. And that's really what, you know, as you know, malls are built with uh, anchored by department stores, typically three to four department stores with inline shops. And so now there's just not as many department stores. I think, you know, COVID has really accelerated the uh, impact of store closures and, and bankruptcies in retail. Lodging, who knows? I mean, it's really going to come down to, uh, you know, I think a vaccine is going to be really, I mean, vaccine is critical for all the sectors, I'll, I'll say, but for lodging until we get, you know, uh, tourism back and, you know, international travel, the lodging sector is going to be challenged. So we're completely staying out of that space for now, uh, staying out of really the mall space with the exception of, of a couple outliers there maybe, but uh, they're more speculative in nature. Uh, but I think in terms of the, you know, the REITs we are, we, we do like for COVID that actually have, believe it or not, been catalysts or the, I call the technology names. Uh, so that would be the cell towers and data centers and logistics. Uh, another way to put it, we call it the trifecta world of technology and real estate. So you, you know, you order, a, use your cell phone to order data or to order something, you know, for your kids or yourself and that data is transmitted to a, to a data center. The, and then it's, it's that, that, that order is then transmitted to the logistics warehouse, which is shipped out the same day, that last mile. So all of those three elements, uh, cell towers, data center, and logistics have really, that's where you're seeing the, the higher growth uh, in terms of earnings and dividends. And, and COVID has really not, not hurt them at all. In fact, we've seen a surge in, um, in a lot of this you know, online orders and, uh, and, and data and the whole data industry. So I like those sectors a lot. I mean, healthcare is a mixed bag. Obviously, the COVID-19 being a, started out as a healthcare crisis, which turned into an economic crisis, um, there's still tremendous risk with investing in healthcare. But, you know, we, we still like the very stable uh, uh, pieces of that business model, which will include medical office buildings, which are essential. I mean, obviously, telemedicine has has come out, can be a little more impactful, but but still, people are going to have to go to the doctor. You can't, you know, do all the medical stuff you need to do on a, on a telephone um, and, or cell phone. So um, I think, you know, the medical office space, we actually like skilled nursing because skilled nursing has seen, has seen really strong benefits with the CARES Act, kept a lot of these operators uh, uh, in business. And uh, senior housing is also, even though the sector's been overbuilt, uh, that, that silver tsunami is really the catalyst driving you know, that whole industry. So, you know, healthcare is, is a good sector, but again, you got to be careful, you know, what you're investing in. Hospitals are, are doing really well. Uh, there's one pure play hospital we like, um, you know, so looking there, probably the most stable kind of going back to what I alluded, my, my previous career as a net lease developer, um, you know, I think that's where you're going to find the most predictability. And we've, we've uh, been overweight in the net lease REIT sector uh, given these are long-term leases, uh, typically they're yielding around, you know, five, six percent a year, a little higher now because of the, you know, COVID and the sell-off. Uh, but uh, an investor can, can, if you really look back at the net lease sector over the last, say, 20 years, uh, it's a pretty simple formula. It's five, usually four to five percent yield and four to five percent growth, which constitutes a 10 percent total return thesis. And that's really how we've, um, how we've always felt like net lease was going to be a very predictable, um, you know, subsector or property sector. So we've overweighted that, and that's a really good place for retirees as well, because 
you get the very stable, uh, you know, income. Some of these companies like Realty Income pay monthly dividends. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a good sector. Um, another subsector of, of net lease that I like, uh, which has gotten a little bit expensive lately, has been the gaming sector. Now, gaming got really beat up, as you can imagine, at the, you know, at the, uh, in March, um, because uh, gaming is tied, is correlated so closely to lodging. Um, but a lot of that lodging sector has, uh, excuse me, the gaming sector has really come back uh, because they, these are long-term contractual leases. And so they've had very high rent collection. And rent collection is a number that we never really even thought about analyzing, um, you know, prior to COVID. But now it's a, it's definitely a critical number for us in terms of assessing uh, a company's stability and sustainability is making sure that, you know, they're able to collect the rent um, through COVID. But it's, it's definitely been, I would say the key word is disruptive. I mean, it's been disruptive, but there's certainly opportunities, you know, in the space. Mispricing is still there. Uh, obviously, if you look at the REIT market in general compared to, say, the S&P 500, REITs are still relatively inexpensive. Again, there are certain sectors, I just mentioned the, the technology names that are a little pricey now, but there are certainly uh, some really attractive places to invest capital right now. And as long as interest rates remain low, and I think they will, at least that's what the Fed's telling us, um, that, you know, I think the REIT market's going to continually con continue to uh, to do well. And again, it's encouraging to see really over the last several months, April, May, June, July, August, you know, how a lot of these companies have really uh, been able to uh, increase their rent collections. Um, office is an interesting category. You're sitting in one right now and I'm sitting in one right now. So obviously some of us have come back to work. The big question in the office sector is in the gateway market. So New York, San Francisco, San Diego, some of the bigger towns, um, you know, are these companies, are these people going to go back to work and what's the, what is that new norm going to be, you know, in the office sector? But, but again, similar to the net lease REITs, office REITs have long duration uh, leases. So uh, we're actually fairly bullish in that space, but recognizing there's going to be significant changes, uh, you know, as, as people start getting back to work and going back into offices and what it's going to look like, you know, in the new office environment. But um, like you, you guys obviously are in your office and I'm in my office. So we obviously see the value of having an office and not working from home. Yeah. And maybe the open floor paying, maybe that goes away. <laughs> the one that they just put into like a bunch of buildings. They're gonna rip that. We're going to put up walls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, just hit on a, you started to hit on this a little bit. You just wrote an article not too long ago about ultimate winners might be secondary markets. And we're sitting in a sec, certainly a secondary, not a tertiary market, great market. Um, but we're just seeing an onslaught of people move here from particularly the Northeast. So that's an interesting thesis. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I think you're starting, you know, see that, that trend um, happening and, you know, I don't think you're seeing a, a mass exodus from New York to say Raleigh or West Palm Beach. Uh, uh, I don't know about uh, that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. People are definitely reconsidering and there's certainly, you know, I'm not saying that, believe me, New York City's not going anywhere. We all know that. Okay. Yeah. But you wrote this article and, and obviously you're seeing some, you know, where's, where are some opportunities that you're seeing? Particularly? Yeah. 
No, I agree. I mean, I think you're going to see the corporate offices remain in the gateway markets, but you're, I think you're going to see a, a wave of those satellite offices um, opening up. We, we have an apartment down in West Palm Beach and, and an office down there. And um, one of the big companies uh, uh, related uh, is building a new office and I can see it, you know, when I'm there and they fill this up. I mean, the hedge funds and now all the companies are coming down and but they're setting up satellite offices. And I think that's really what I see is that shift of companies not only leaving completely, but maybe reducing that footprint, say in New York from 100,000 square feet, say to 20,000 square feet, and then maybe putting 20,000 square feet in Raleigh and 20,000 square feet in another market and some people working from home. You know, So I think it's gonna be more of that uh, type of situation um, you know, going forward. And I think, you know, housing's the same thing. I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've been looking at this uh, multifamily sector very closely and there's some really good stocks on sale right now, REITs on sale right now, like Equity Residential and Avalon Bay and, and, and Essex, uh, which is a West Coast based uh, REIT. Um, but uh, the, the real question is, are those people gonna be moving now, you know, away from these urban markets into the, the secondary towns like, like Raleigh? So I think you're, you're still going to see that shift. And I think that's, that's an area that we really focused on because I think there's value. I mean, we, we just upgraded, uh, I guess, one of the hometown favorites there recently, Highwoods, um, which is a great office uh, operation, uh, primarily focused on the Southeast uh, U.S. And, um, you know, that's why we felt like, you know, there's a lot of value in companies like that that have, um, you know, assets in those markets. And the same would apply, by the way, to industrial I mean, I'm, I'm right down the street from you in Greenville, Spartanburg, which is a great market. We have, you know, BMW uh, here, uh, you know, printing cars, and we have Michelin Tire Base, their North American headquarters here, and a number of suppliers related to, to the automotive industry. So it's just a great market, and, uh, and a lot of REITs have finally caught on to that and uh, started to make investments, you know, in markets like Greenville, Spartanburg, and Raleigh-Durham. Well, do you... I see we open up the box. What do you want to talk about a particular stock? I mean, I'd like to open up the mind of Alex Let's talk yeah. a little bit more about Brad. Okay. All right. Hey, what are you, uh, when you're not, when you're not geeking out on REITs, like I geek out on stocks, <laughs> what are you, uh, what are you reading or podcasting or listening to or Netflixing or what are you, what are you doing for fun, Brad? Well, if my wife's listening right now, she's going to be, she would be screaming in the background saying, you know, I'm a workaholic and, you know, cause I do, my passion is real estate. Um, you know, but, uh, look, I, I played a little college basketball, but I gave that up a long time ago. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I guess an interesting story. I, I, uh, um, you know, I've been down in West Palm quite a bit and we, we, we were going to, you know, be setting up an office down there. And back in June, I decided to go down there and, um, I drove my son. He had just graduated from high school and, uh, you know, this was in June and we get down there and it was just, uh, you know, that's when I guess there was this, uh, you know, spike starting to happen. So we, we stayed like three days and came back and, and drove back home. And I thought, you know, that, that drive is not that bad. And then I started thinking, you know, I, I, I normally spend a couple thousand dollars a month on travel, going to New York or wherever, speaking at a conference or investor event or whatever. And so I decided uh, to buy a new car. So I got a, I got a convertible about a month ago. And so I've enjoyed that. That's been kind of, I guess you, you want to call it a vice or whatever, midlife crisis, you can, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. But, uh, 
I, I, I do enjoy the fact that I've got a new, uh, a new, a new car. And so now, as I told my wife, instead of, you know, spending thousands of dollars on airline tickets to Florida, I'll just be taking the top down and, and driving down to Florida. So that's, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to doing uh, one of these days, you know, it's still, um, but I think we're getting closer and closer to that. And, um, you know, again, I think, uh, um, you know, we're seeing that reflected in some of the, in some of the stocks, but uh, again, my, my kids, uh, that's kind of my, 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 my next passion would be my oldest daughter. Again, she's in New York. Uh, she's in the journalism business, business journalism, I should say. Uh, my second oldest daughter finished uh, same college that I graduated from Presbyterian College uh, in Clinton, South Carolina. And then my son just finished high school and I've got two younger kids, one in high school and one in uh, middle school who has a volleyball game this afternoon in about an hour that I'm supposed to be at. Uh, so, uh, that's, that's kind of it. And, uh, you know, between the kids and, uh, writing about REITs, uh, uh, we also launched a, a, a larger publishing platform in January called Wide Moat Publishing. Um, and, uh, we have a number of, you know, obviously I'm the REIT, uh, kind of guru, but we have a number of other, uh, partners on the team, uh, from Seeking Alpha, uh, that includes people like Dividend Sensei, he's at uh, Rights on Seeking Alpha, uh, Nicholas Ward, uh, Chuck Carnival, um, uh, Justin Ward, uh, uh, you know, uh, two or three others. So we've got, we, we basically cover now all of the dividend paying sectors from MLP midstreams to BDCs uh, to ordinary C-Corps. Uh, if it's got a dividend, you know, we'll cover it. And we cover the banking sector, insurance, utilities, and so forth. So we basically have created a whole suite of products now geared to dividend investors, which we know is, is really important uh, these days. Uh, and as you, as you know, as well. Yeah, huge. Um, well, any, uh, any local restaurants down in South Carolina you'd like to tell us about the next time we're traveling down there? <laughs> well, many of them haven't opened back up yet. Still. Uh, I mean, some of them, but actually I built a, it's funny. I built an IHOP about 20 years ago, right near my house. And, uh, you know, still hasn't opened back up. I'm, I'm just amazed. I mean, it was had so it was it was just printing money. Um, so uh, you know, I'm still doing drive-throughs. I haven't gone in. There's an Outback. Actually, I built it too, right across the street. And, um, I'll go do pickup there. But um, you know, I'm in Spartanburg, South Carolina, not uh, not you know not Raleigh. And of course, uh, one of the things I loved about when I would go to Chapel Hill to visit my daughter was uh, all the restaurants downtown on Franklin Street. So. Uh, yeah. We don't have too many options in Spartanburg in terms of really nice, uh, you know, home style restaurants. But um, anyway, my wife cooks a pretty good meal, so I guess I'm taken care of. Perfect. We'll stop by everyone when we're, when we're in your area. <laughs> anytime. 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 Well, Brad Thompson, it's awesome to have you uh, here on Meet the Masters of Old Raleigh Financial Group. We really appreciate it. And we, and, um, uh, maybe we'll roll the tape back in six months and have another discussion about all this because it's certainly going to be an awesome, uh, uh, interesting six months, that's for sure. So, well, it is, and of course, you know, we have an election coming up. Um, you know, it's gonna, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think overall, the real estate economy has opened back up, and uh, you know, it's a great REITs are a great place to invest capital. And uh, you know, I wrote about it in my first book. You know, REITs are now considered a core you know, asset class under the jicks uh, and uh, real estate has its own category now. So I think it's really important for your audience to recognize that you shouldn't own just one REIT. You should own a portfolio of REITs. 
they constitute at least 10%, in my opinion, of your uh, investment portfolio, if not higher. All right, well, perfect. You heard it from the boss there on that. All right, well, thanks. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you again in the future, I'm sure. All right, you look forward to it. Thank All right, you. Thanks. All right, and hold tight.